Welcome to Heavy Networking from the Packet Pushers. Metro networking is rising in importance to telcos and to customers. And Metro networks have specific requirements for what they need. These are the local networks inside of cities and, and towns and, and regions. And specifically, they have things like multi-tenancy to provide services for third party. And the use of content delivery networks is might be reducing traffic that's on the backbone networks, but the local networks are in need of a lot more bandwidth. And it's a growth market and one that's quite frankly overdue for investment. We're seeing rises in edge computing. We're seeing applications and services move closer to the customer into being deployed in the cities and in the pops right out of the edge of the networks. And then so that distance between the edge and the client, you know, in is that key aspect of what's going on here. And so we're seeing a lot of demand from telcos and, and businesses to try and get that bandwidth in the metro. So in today's sponsor podcast, we are diving into Juniper's Cloud Metro announcement, which includes a sequence of products and features, including appliances, software, and integrations with other Juniper services to address the entire business of ownership and operation of a metro network using the cloud capabilities. Now, that's not normally the way we talk about new products. Normally, we hear vendors come out and talk about a new chassis or a new switch, and then a new SDN tool, and then a new administration or a new performance monitoring tool. That's not how this is being done. This is a whole sequence of announcements about revolutionizing the whole metro solution, which is a very modern way of looking at. We're no looking at no longer looking at networks as piecemeal. We're looking at them as a holistic holes of the same thing. Our guests today are Kanika Atri, Senior Director of Product Management at Juniper, and Tim Pennell, also Senior Director of Product Manager at Juniper Networks. So let's dive right into the Cloud Metro discussion with a short overview of Cloud Metro, and then we can get deeper into the discussion. So Tim, give me a quick, I don't know, two-minute summary of what the whole Cloud Metro launch is about. Okay, thank you. So the expanded Cloud Metro solution that, that we uh, announced at the beginning of this month um, it's essentially a, a solution to help service providers achieve sustainable business growth. Uh, it's it's an, a natural evolution of, of our Cloud Metro vision that we announced uh, back in the first half of 2021. We believe it's the industry's most sustainable, uh, high-performance solution. Uh, it's uniquely mm. AI-enabled and cloud-delivered with, with embedded uh, active assurance and, and zero-trust security. Um, we believe it, it really makes up a new solution category from a Metro perspective with unique yeah. attributes that, that certainly we believe from a Juniper perspective, we can deliver very well. Uh, kind of going into that in a little bit more detail. So from a sustainability perspective, so we really break that down into three areas, um, mm -hmm. operations, uh, the systems or the platform itself, and then from an architecture perspective. Uh, if we talk about the sustainable operations, we're talking about our Paragon Automation Suite. Um, Kanika yep. will be able to talk in, in far more detail about this. Um, but it's Paragon Automation is, is AI enabled, as I mentioned, and it's a cloud delivered uh, as a service, as, as well as having an on-prem option there as well. Yeah. I sort of see this as kind of like what I think of as a day zero, day one, day two. Yep. So you've got this sustainable architecture idea where you're looking at the key things that the business wants, which is the networking and fabric, but it's got services on it. You want the assurance, the ability to monitor what the network is doing, and the but not just the the network devices. You want to monitor the applications, and that's through the Paragon Active Insurance. It, and then you're exactly, talking about it's, it's a combination of the the, mm. the Paragon automation suite sitting behind it, 
but mm-hmm. then also embedded into each of the platforms of, of the ACX 7000 series family, which is the, the mm-hmm. systems that, that the, the traffic is running on. Embedded into each of those, we have the, the active insurance agent, which, you know, it, it kind of goes beyond our sort of traditional ping, jitter measurements, delay measurements, this type of thing that we've been used to in the past. And we kind of go up that application stack. So we're really looking at the application layer, monitoring that with, with, with live synthetic traffic that we're running and at all points in the network. So it really helps operators to immediately identify when the quality of service or when the customer experience for that type of services are being degraded. And, and the automation system, with the, which is AI enabled behind that, helps to, to steer the operator towards, okay, here's the remedial actions you need mm. to take. Otherwise, you're going to be getting calls from the customer saying, hey, our, our services is experiencing some kind yeah. of degrade. I, I sort of see the announcement in three parts. I talked about day zero, which is the architecture, day one, which is the new hardware, because you do need new hardware, because we're now talking about uh, optical networks, which is primarily we use optical networks in the metro, and we're moving yeah. towards this IP optical situation where it's no longer IP routing onto a wavelength and, you know, DWDM edge. We'll talk more about that. So you need new hardware that's got, you know, 400 gig, 800 gig, and, you know, good Lord, even 1.6 terabit Ethernet is on the horizon. So you need new hardware to embrace that future because you've got to look to a five to seven year ownership cycle. Absolutely. But then it's also the day two, which is that operational part. Yes. Yes. Okay. So and, and we, it's, it's, and I think it's, it's the, unusual the, for a solution to be talking about that whole spectrum. That, that's what strikes me as un, like unusual about this. I, I think we, we felt that there were all of these different aspects, all of which needed to be addressed. And, and it was... I think, you know, we've been talking about IP services fabric underlying Metro for quite some time now. Uh, that's the, the other piece of the, the sustainable architecture, if you like. But but yeah, adding all of these pieces together, we felt was, okay, this is a different way of, of ju- not just building the networks, but operating mm-hmm. the networks and really leveraging, you know, people say, oh, well, we've been talking about AI forever. This is something that Juniper's actually done uh, with, mm. you know, through our MIST acquisition and what we've done in the enterprise. And we're really bringing that AI experience and, and what that did for the end customer experience of services and how it improved that. And we're trying to bring that as well to the WAN here. And we believe we can do that. Tim, now that you've said the word uh, operator or operation several times with this. And that's one of the things I took away as I was prepping for this show. One of the, the the whole system, the Cloud Metro system works together from onboarding through standing up uh, new services to all the monitoring. That all works together in a way that is easy for the operator to stand up. It's not like we ship just switch in a box, rack it, and then figure out the rest and add it to your systems. There's It feels like there's a whole ecosystem kind of wrapped around this thing. Is that fair to say? No, no that is fair to say. And, and I'll invite uh, Kanika to chime in here, but we, we definitely you know, try to take it, uh, as you say, some of those typical use cases, like, okay, the box just arrived. uh, How do you actually get it up and running? And, Mm. you know, you don't want to be pulling out your, you know, CCIE books and going through, okay, how do I set up MPLS, et cetera. You know, it's trying to simplify all of that. And again, leveraging a a lot on what we've been driving in the enterprise space and say, okay, how how do we make this super easy for the technician who's turning up to get the box online and up and running and passing traffic? Uh, and so and that, really, and that's, that's what it's about. Yeah. And that's increasingly important because one of the business issues here is that telcos are struggling to get staff. So the yeah. old days where, you know, they could get staff and they could get them cheap and treat them badly, that's changing. And they really are struggling to hold on to staff who are going off to, you know, the, uh, the telcos are now competing for skills against the startups. And 
you know, the cloud companies and a range and enterprises are paying more. Why would you, you know, so you have to find ways to reduce the dependency on staff or to, you know, address that issue where you, you don't necessarily have the staff. And that is a key business issue. Yeah, yeah very well said, Greg. I mean, um, I think first thing that uh, I really want to give the message that this whole category, the fact that we justify it as a category because we think of Metro as a whole, a shrink wrap solution that's got elements that are embedded in the devices plus you know the whole the devices themselves and then you know the manageability and and how we actually operate this the whole piece is like uh, seamlessly integrated and literally works as soon as the box gets shipped you know i'm very thrilled and very proud of uh, the uh, one of the automation use cases that we'll be delivering you know through um, our paragon as a service is this whole idea of device onboarding and you know yeah. our inspiration was we thought that you know look at a device like a ring or portal or a nest right when you yeah. uh, buy one of these devices all you do is you power it on and you know the moment it latches onto wi-fi it just takes over yeah, you know, yeah, it, exactly. itself and stuff. And that's exactly the experience we are bringing to the cloud metro. Tomorrow when our customers, you know, they pretty much just order uh, a box. As soon as it gets shipped and it's arrived, all the field engineer needs to do is scan a QR code and there you go. Paragon yeah. takes over and onboards the entire device. And there's no value to fiddling around with things like your ability to not, you know, plug something in and drop it into the rack is definitely still something you have to do. But that idea of loading code and firmware and registering it with the licensing and adding it to your asset management system and, you know, updating the firmware and finding out what licensing you've got for the chassis and, you know, all that stuff is yeah. it's not valuable work. It's just work that we did because there was no other way to do it. It's, it's also exactly. the, the human element of, of that today is also where mistakes get made. And so trying to automate that and eliminate the mistakes and just yeah. have it, have everything go more smoothly is, is another element to what we're trying to add here. So In fact, we found bit. that, you know, this uh, human error is like a big problem of not being able to get it right the first time, including mm. in a use case like onboarding. So what we've built is an actual visual guide. So mm. the engineer can literally just hold up his phone and it'll tell him step by step, put this cable in this slot. And if he gets it wrong, it literally just pops up an error says, hey, this is wrong, you know, and it'll tell you which cable to put it in. And, you know, there's another interesting uh, angle to this, right? Um, let's say you've put in the right cable. Later on, you know, after the whole onboarding is done, um, the Paragon system actually does a real ping test, you know, through mm -hmm. to the cloud to see, you know, is it actually up and running? Yeah? Is it ready for service? And it will detect that, oh, there is actually something wrong with the cable. It's not the wrong cable, but that cable's power level, or it just may be a bad cable. There is some attenuation yeah. because yeah. of which connect. That's an AI use case. Now we've right. embedded into the whole basic device onboarding. You know, who would have thought that device onboarding needs AI? But here you are, just yeah. being able to detect a bad cable and get it right the first time. I mean, that's the power of uh, of automation and, and AI pretty much, you know, through the entire life cycle of, mm -hmm. of that device. Yeah, as someone who used to lead project teams for deployment, I'm that sounds like something I want because I don't want to be out on site plugging devices in and I don't want to have to pick some of my best people to be able to just get a box connected to the network. 
And so having those things in place. Well, let's let's kick off the discussion around the ACX 7000. This is the new hardware that you've built, developed and you're shipping. There's a whole bunch of different models in the family. There's a very large chassis. There's a small chassis and a range of fixed forms. I noticed that you're particularly indicating that they take up less space. Now, colos aren't cheap and space in telehousing isn't cheap. Is that the primary goal here? I, I think, yes. Small is beautiful generally in, in all things we do. So mm. um, we have to respect that, you know, not every site is the same. Uh, in mm. some cases, yes, you've got limited height, limited depth. Uh, also, you know, in some cases, commercial operating temperature ranges. Sometimes it's out in a street cabinet with solar heating and, and you know, industrial temperature ranges. So what we've introduced is a, a, a portfolio of products that not just cover different ranges of capacity, everything from, you know, uh, down to sort of 100 gig level and all the way up to literally hundreds of terabits, even petabit level with future generations of, of line card. So mm. we've got a, a very wide range of capacities, but equally, yes, those different form factors, those different operating environments, and some of the nice things that we've been able to achieve um, from an architecture perspective is, yeah, just doing things architecturally within the products a little bit different that, mm -hmm. that optimizes the throughput uh, and the space we need and the power we need and I'm not talking about, you know, hey, a 10% improvement or a 20% improvement, sort of stuff you'd expect normally anyway with, with the, the benefits of Moore's Law and next generations of silicon and, and so on. So, yes, of course, we are using the latest generation of silicon. So we do get benefit from seven nanometer silicon and all that, that brings. But hmm. it, it's, it's beyond that. It's actually architecting the product slightly different. Uh, and just to, you know, pick out one example, for example, uh, the, the ACX7509, which is uh, our small modular system. And typically in this this market, uh, you know, from if I go back in my career, what I've always developed is the the four slot chassis, the eight slot chassis, the sixteen slot chassis, depending mm -hmm. on your node size. Compared to a traditional four slot chassis orthogonal design, you're talking about you know something which is physically you know it, it's consuming you know as little as half the space, but then from a power perspective, its power is a third of what you'd expect for some of those other systems. And so mm. these are very significant savings. And some of it's, yes, silicon, but some of it is down to the way we've architected the products. So the full range, we believe, to try to cover every deployment scenario, but also trying to be a little bit smart about how we put them together so that we can, you know, hey, all of us, we are, we are all trying to do our bit to save the planet. And mm -hmm. saving space and is that's one important thing. Saving because, power is the, the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. And saving power has two impacts because it's not only is, uh, power is money because it costs mm. a lot of money. To, to buy electricity and increasingly more so. Increasingly, but there's, yes. Yeah, but there's also an you know an ESG or environmental and sustainability goals where companies need to use less electricity as part of their shareholders are demanding it of them. So having that ability to drop the power level is important. There's two two outcomes. I notice also that you're actually using titanium grade power supplies. Is that something we haven't been doing? Is that like a newish thing, or is that just I, this I is think, a new iteration? So I think you know, and again, it goes slightly different, I suppose, vendor by vendor. Um, yeah. You know, I won't call out vendors specifically, but you know, we we have seen um, one vendor achieving titanium levels in at least AC or the higher voltage stuff. DC mm -hmm. and AC and and high voltage across the board titanium levels. No, mm -hmm. we 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 are the first to, to market with that. And 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 you, people say, oh well, come on, what's the difference? So titanium is ninety six percent, but you know, hey, we have a ninety two percent. You say, mm -hmm. guys, yes, but doesn't seem to be a big difference between ninety two and ninety six percent efficiency. But mm -hmm. think about it the other way around. Those power supplies that are ninety two percent, they're consuming twice as much power 
to do that power conversion as the titanium rated 96%. That's right. twice as much. So suddenly it's not about 92 to 96, it's two times. And that, yeah. that's, that's the point we try to get across. Yeah, that's right. And that matters a lot. Now, the other thing here is that Juniper has been building their own optics. And so this platform does consume your own optics. Is there some advantages to your optics? Are they, like I noticed that you've got the coherence. So that means you've got the DWDM ready optics go into the chassis so you can connect directly to the DWDM core. So you don't need a, a DWDM edge. Is that part of this platform today? So so absolutely. And, and I think, um, you know, th there's two sides to this, if you like. So the the one very pragmatic side from a Juniper perspective is, is hey, you know, like our competitors, we need to have our own source of optics if we're going to compete in this market. Mm -hmm. um, we can't continue to just buy the optics from our competitors and expect to remain competitive in the market moving forwards. So, you know, developing our own optics uh, in, in partnership with uh, another vendor mm -hmm. um, to be price competitive um, was was one aspect to this. Let's, let's not pretend otherwise. But mm. the, the other aspect is, is okay, yeah, can we also do things a little bit smarter with the optics? Can we make some, some gains there uh, in terms of power consumption, which we've been able to do? Uh, and, you know, obviously this 400 Z gig ZR is a standard. And so we interop uh, at all levels is, is necessarily ditto mm -hmm. with ZR plus. But yeah, so operationally as well, trying to do some things slightly different, again, with our power, Paragon automation and the way we integrate the optics to allow them to be run independently if you've got a separate transport team that needs to be able to manage and operate those mm. optics completely independently and i mean all the way down to you know doing the the bring up of the optics and the testing of the optics link if you want to separate that all out so you've got an mm -hmm. ip team doing the, the routing side of things and a an optical transport to, team doing the the transport side of things yeah worried about enabling all of that of yeah. And some of that, yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I've, I think I've been talking about IP over DWDM in the market since 2005. So I, I, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I know that's why I well. said I was very yeah, carefully yeah. dancing around that and just talking about IP optical, yeah, which yeah, is, yeah. you know, yeah. this is really, you know, these, these ACX 7000 chassis can be routers, but yeah. they can also, they direct to the, connect directly to the DWDM edge. So they remove that um, equipment stack that you used to have from the DWDM provider where they used to present you with the ethernet port you can now plug exactly. them directly you still, got, you still got your you know your your rodem systems your filters your muxes etc sitting mm. underneath that if you want to do dwdm muxing if mm. you just want to use it as a zr as a lot of people do for for long links without you know amplifiers yeah. etc you can do that as well mm -hmm. are we at the stage yet where those optics have enhanced monitoring or you know uh, the sfp you know these modules are often everybody agrees to put in the basic set of features, but are we at the point where optics are now getting enhanced and getting extra features or is that not where we're at yet? I, I think, yeah, to the point I was making, you know, what we've we've added here is that ability, to, if you want to separate operations uh, between mm. that IP side of the, the house and, and passing traffic, if you like the, the client side of the optic and then the, the line side of the optic, being able to separate the operations there and have have independent monitoring for both aspects and independent operations yeah. and bring up for both aspects. That's the piece that we we believe that we've added this extra that for, for a lot of our customers that do have those separate teams and want to maintain those separate teams because they are, mm. let's face it, they're different specialisms uh, from a, a people perspective. That That is important to them from just from yeah, yeah. running their operations. And the and the other key feature is that this runs Junos OS Evolved. Now, I wasn't aware of Evolved, so I had to go and do some research. But this is the newer version of Junos, which is container-orientated. So many of the software modules are actually running in a container. So you get the ability to get much more uh, capability for hitless upgrades and 
rebooting only parts of the code. You don't necessarily have to reload the entire chassis just to do software updates, right? A hundred percent. I mean, the the evolved, if you like, um, as we call this, this Linux-based uh, version of, of Junos that we have, uh, it was driven first really on the, the PTX family in our portfolio, um, mm. which is, uh, you know, used greatly by the, the cloud service providers. And a lot of the operational functions that, that have been driven into, into Junos Evolved really came from that, that cloud SP side of the house. Uh, mm-hmm. And we believe that operationally, it's something that, that service providers generally can take advantage of across the board, uh, even our enterprise customers as well, using these products in the WAN. So yes, it's, it's our next generation of operating system, um, but also, yeah, a lot of operational benefits in the way that we, we do, uh, you know, usual operations, whether it's, you know, the way that we enable, you know, new commands and, and the way that we bring up the platform, the way that we, as you say, containerize everything, uh, the way that we do software upgrades, all of these things have been enhanced. And the way we innovate, Tim. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. also, this is exactly uh, the OS where our test agent sits, right? We, yeah, we have right. this uh, Paragon Active Assurance test agents. Essentially, mm-hmm. they are generating synthetic traffic and allow you to shoot that traffic across whatever path you choose. You know, either it could be from device to cloud or whatever. The place where which this active agent is sitting is on this Junos Evo, you know, containerized uh, platform. And that also allows us to kind of innovate both of them independent of each other, right? Like we can mm-hmm. keep on adding new uh, things that this test agent, you know, would be able to measure and, and sense and so on, irrespective of the pace at which uh, the OS itself will evolve. So that yeah. is also the way of the future. Now, we've talked about Paragon Active Assurance in some of the podcasts and this, but the basic idea here, if I can try and summarize it, is that, you have the ability to set, create synthetic tests and then schedule them to run. And the agent is actually embedded inside of these ACX 7000s, or it's inside of Junos OS Evolved and inside most of the Junos now, I think. And you have the Paragon Active Assurance software platform, which says, I want to create this test which runs this application. It could be HTTPS between these two nodes or this end-to-end path and I want to run it as an active. And it's, that's called active testing. That's not passive monitoring like you do with NetFlow. You sort of, you know, put your hand, it's like taking someone's heart rate by putting your finger on their pulse. Much different experience to actually getting inside and sort of, you know, testing the pressure by running something through a pipe. And that's, it's a much more sophisticated way of testing, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you said it way better than I could. I love your analogy of, you know, putting (laughs) your uh, finger and actually checking the pulse. And this is exactly right. you know, in our world of, of uh, automation, you know, observability is a key idea where today observability is only defined essentially by much of this telemetry, right? Streaming telemetry. In my mind, that's all passive data. I mean, yeah, you can keep on adding, you know, hundreds of new ways of ingest, um, uh, but it's not complete until unless you also do active testing. And that's where in order to do true monitoring, you need to combine both passive and active testing. And, you know, with Paragon um, uh, Automation as a service, one of our use cases is observability as a service. And it Mm. looks at both active and passive telemetry to give you a real idea. Uh, And, you know, you can apply this idea of testing to any kind of scenario, right? Whether it's a new Mm. birth certificate you want to give, to a new metro device that just came to life, uh, whether it's a new link uh, that you've added, right? Uh, or it could be, you know, for slicing, 
to continuously assure the QoS that it's supposed to give you, you need to actually run that active test as well. So there are hundreds of scenarios where, you know, this idea mm. of uh, the whole network being an experience sensor, that's what we're able to bring to life, uh, you know, thanks to yeah. inherent capabilities of the architecture as well as at the operations layer. Yeah, I think the, I think the key thing for me is I've been a customer of telcos for a long period of time and they would give me service level guarantees and I would deploy active assurance and then find that the telcos didn't meet their promises or the commitments and uh, generally would make their lives very unhappy. But knowing that they've got this capability to put this sort of active assurance, you know, the synthetic testing in their networks means next time I come knocking on their door, they can give me answers and say, no, no, we know from our synthetic testing that that's not true. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Because yeah. I would be there like showing them data where I'd be creating some sort of synthetic test on a Saturday when the network is unloaded and showing that it wasn't working. And they would be like, I don't want to see this. <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> How do I troubleshoot this? Because they don't, you know, and they never had these tools. So it, it's really important, I think, for telcos going forward to be able to commit to customers because customers now have the same sort of tools as Paragon Active Assurance themselves. And they can prove that the telcos aren't delivering that that capability or and they should know beforehand, otherwise they look bad. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the other piece that, that I kind of liked about this is it's it, the, the active element of this and the, the ongoing testing with live synthetic traffic. You actually identify the problem before you get that complaint call from the customer. So yeah. it's just good for relationships with your customers. If if you're mm-hmm. you're you know actively looking at their experience and monitoring their experience and fixing the problems before they realize they've got a problem, mm-hmm. that can only be beneficial for customer retention and, and just the whole relationship with customers. It also reduces the cost of sale because I used to cost my suppliers an awful lot of money. You mentioned in the show notes here that you've got a 5G mobile assurance. What's what's going on with that, Anna? Yeah, so now, you know, uh, we can also emulate the 5G RAN traffic uh, wow. as part of this whole solution. So, you know, uh, that again, from a 5G uh, services that, you know, many operators are going to launch, it helps them, you know, test their SLAs uh, for a real 5G quality of service even before they launch or while mm. the service is ongoing. You know, think of like a racetrack, right? We, we were yeah. on this uh, Silverstone, National Martin, uh, beautiful track, right? You always have this test car that runs ahead on the track before the actual cars behind it are racing, right? That's mm-hmm. the idea. So similarly for a 5G, you know, you send out this uh, this test traffic or this test car even before you actually go out there and send the rest in. You've tested the mm-hmm. whole track. So now we are able to complete the, ru- uh, uh, complete the loop with the RAN part of it as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah. The one I'm thinking of is if I'm building a 5G RAN or, you know, a service edge or 5G pop, and this is my edge, but it's shared between. So many of the 5G towers are actually shared, the tower companies actually have two, three, four, five telco companies sharing the same infrastructure. And if I was the one operating that tower, I would want to be able to do service assurance on each one so that I know, so I can say it's not my network, right? Because at some point the network traffic leaves your network and goes onto theirs and they're going to go like, well, my network works fine. It must be your fault. And so it's a meantime to innocence. So if you're running a 5G slice with you know multiple tenants, this is this would be really important, I think. And I, and I think the, the the key word there as well was slice, right? So that ability yeah. to not only slice your network up into different pieces uh, for different 
customers or operators even who are using your network, um, but to monitor their specific application layer um, for the things that they care about, whether it's 5G traffic or like you were saying, HTTP or HTTPS or where DNS, you name it, right? The application layer monitoring so that you're caring about their applications and their experience of those applications for their particular slice of the network and, and independently monitoring that and tracking that. Again, that's all, all part of what Cloud Metro is trying to bring. Mm. Yes, it's 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 sharing of networks, it's it's multi-application networks, but each of those applications needs to be delivered for a good customer experience and, and needs to be monitored independently if, if your network is being shared by multiple different users, which quite often is the case. Mm. I also want to touch on zero trust security. This is something that we're coming towards. This is I think this is where we're saying the supply chain is working uh, better than it has been before. We need to validate that the hardware is from Juniper and that it's legitimate and that the software images on the box are secure. Is that where we're at? Um, yes, yes, 100%. So so it it starts, as you say, from the, the trust anchor that we put in hardware. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, an, uh, especially encrypted device, which is done at... Uh, uh, with a great deal of security, physical security in the manufacturing place itself. Um, so those trust anchors or you know, TPM 2.0 devices, as we call them, mm. uh, they're put there, they're encoded with the, the development ID uh, so that we can recognize, that, okay, this is truly a, a Juniper product and which one it is and what its serial number is and everything else. Um, all of that uh, initial security is, is embedded in. And then, yes, the software as, a, as part of the bring up and Paragon together with that does that security check and make sure that, yes, this is the right hardware, it's the right software, nothing's been tampered with. So we have trust in our network from the beginning. Uh, and then all of the other steps and everything are built on a solid foundation, if you like, um, yeah. so that we, we can trust that it's going to work the way that we expect it to work. Yeah, this is another example of what I was trying to say about this idea of mm-hmm. shrink wrap solution, right? So think of the trust and security part being embedded at three levels at the core of it inside the router itself, inside the uh, routing engine, uh, right? You have this TPM 2.0 dev ID that's, that's you know, associated that allows you to authenticate. One layer on top of that, we have Paragon, uh, you know, when it's onboarding that device, there's this whole software that it checks that, okay, mm-hmm. is this really authentic? And then, um, you know, it checks other things like software integrity as well and uh, vulnerabilities and, you know, P-certs, checking for like every every other thing around, uh, you know, the authenticity and integrity of both the hardware and software. And then at the third, at the highest level, what we also provide is, you know, trust as a service where we actually calculate something called a network trust score that mm-hmm. evolves over time. And then it, it's essentially aggregating, you know, your, your risk quotient across the network by looking at all the devices underneath, right? So, uh, you know, we're doing it at three levels to create a holistic solution for the Metro. So, Kanika, I want to talk a little bit about Paragon Automation as a service. Now, Paragon is a, a name for a lot of Juniper software defined networking. Is this saying that you're I'm actually able to do automation of these of these you know cloud metro products from a cloud hosted platform? That's right. I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, the favorite my favorite topic is you know running automation from the cloud. Um, I believe that's the future. Ask me why. <laughs> I know why, but I'm going to ask you, what are the features about running automation from the cloud that you want to talk about? <laughs> well, um, you know, 
if you just look back in history, uh, the way typically automation has been thought of in service providers, you know, almost everybody's trying to kind of go all in, boil the ocean, you know, do it yourself. And that hasn't paid off very well. In fact, there are surveys that say 70% of all DIY efforts have failed. Why? It has taken years for them to realize that, you know, gorgeous blueprints and frameworks, right? Mm. Um, and then, um, even then, the ROI is in question, right? So, the yeah. speed of doing it, and more importantly, the ability to deliver outcomes, right? A um, lot of operators have gone down that path and, you know, mm. now coming out and saying, well, this is not working, we need to think think differently. And at least in my mind, look no further than the world of cloud, right? I mean, it's perfectly suited for this automation domain. Why? One, you can start small, go fast. Like you don't have to worry about all the entire overhead of like deploying your own infrastructure, managing the software lifecycle and so on, right? Literally just start with one burning problem as a use case, you know, automate just that one little piece you will see an immediate ROI and then do the next. Now, Paragon Automation, uh, although it's probably optimal for Junos devices or you know Juniper devices, it's multi-platform, isn't it? It's not just on Juniper products. Oh, absolutely. Our vision yeah. is to make this completely multi-vendor, but of course, you know, it's a crawl, walk, run. Uh, first, when we launch our, our you know, the, the first uh, beta and the prototypes, you will see like very soon. I mean, it's already out there. It's it's working on you know metro devices first, and then slowly we will take it out. But our goal is to make this multi vendor mm. absolutely. So this is a step in that direction where if you want to, you can sign up for Paragon Automation as a service, and you can start to use standard automations for provisioning, troubleshooting, operational. You could hand over a bunch of you know script automation, script style automations that would actually run from the crowd, but let operations do them. So, you know, is this device up? Is this device in an operational state? Well, why don't you just go here and run this and automation, it'll tell you, you know, is the customer port up? Here's here's some automation. Is that the sort of thing that we're talking about? Exactly. The full life cycle, right? Starting from your day zero, things like just onboarding a device to day one, like observing, making sure everything's up. And if something's wrong, figuring out why it happened and then actually fixing it, the whole closed loop, right? Being able to change if you're, uh, let's say we talked about integrated optics, right? That was one of the, that's one of the use cases where if the power level of that ZR plus uh, 400 gig optic goes down below a certain threshold, which by the way is learned through AI, if it goes down, you know, automatically your uh, tool is going to change the path and make sure that there is no packets being dropped, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and switch it back once the power levels are back again, right? Things like that. So not only observing, but actually able to control and do something about fixing those in, in an automated way. So the entire closed loop um, is part of part of the scope for uh, Cloud Delivered Paragon. And I want to sort of, as we sort of head towards the end of of the session that we're doing today, I want to come back to the AI onboarding because I don't feel like we really did that justice in the sense that this is the whole process of signing up the device, like deploying it. Then once it's connected to the internet, it can then actually fully onboard into the platform. And then it would integrate, does it integrate then with other operational platforms that the Metro provider might have? Is that the goal? 
that's right. So, uh, you know, first of all, the way we do onboarding is, like I said, completely redefined, right? It's mm. uh, you literally just scan the device. And after that, the cloud takes over. And even in that, you know, today, the way onboarding is done is pretty basic. You know, you will have like a zero touch uh, ZTP um, and then, you know, image downloaded and kind of reset and then run, push some configs and you're done. But when we do this uh, through Paragon, we actually go all the way. You know, once mm. we've done the image upgrades, once we've authenticated everything, we've done the uh, configs and ZTP and given it an uh, identity, we then also do other things like we'll check the health of the device. We'll actually run tests uh active tests to see, you know, if, if all the QoS is working, right? So we literally go all the way to complete that entire uh, workflow. And, and in that process, in the backend, you know, the Paragon uh, cloud is already integrated with whatever other systems it needs to um, in order to fetch, you know, maybe some planning data or, you know, whatever IPs or, or whatever QoS and, and, you know, the intent basically. So yeah. it will, yeah. This is kind of based around the lessons that you learned from the MIST acquisition and the AI ops that you brought to the to the campus and the data center there. And I, it's sort of an evolving thing. So it's very hard to say this is what it does. And the reason being is that AI ops actually changes according to what you do. It makes different recommendations depending on what you're doing. If you're adding this device, the tests are different. If you're in this network architecture, then the assurance tests to check that your links are provisioned are different. Like, are you routing onto direct ZR connections between two devices, or are you going to a DWDM network? That's very different. And so AI is much more sophisticated in the sense that the the recommendations change according to what's actually in front of it, right? Very well said. Very well said. I mean, in my mind, you know, the success of AI ops is not uh, when people say, oh, I have access to tons of data. Oh, I have these gorgeous ML algorithms, you know, and all those fancy names you can think of. That's just basics. The mm. value comes from the context, right? Or the domain that you're working on. So exactly like you said, when somebody is monitoring, let's say a peering link, you yeah. know, the recommendations to monitor the statistics is pretty different from what it might be to monitor, let's say a BNG uh, part of the you know network, right? So um, AI ops uh, has to be married, not just with the access to data and, you know, the ML models and all that, but it has to be married to actual real problems and context, depending on what you are doing at that particular point of time. And that is where the whole networking expertise of Juniper comes in, right? And what we've learned from MIST, um, and, you know, MIST is a hugely successful product of Juniper, right? Mm -hmm. We are re, uh, we've learned a few things. One, we've learned, keep it simple. The beauty of their user experience is just, mind-blowing right it's really hard to make things simple and for our whole paragon cloud uh, suite you know that's one of the most important guiding principles like how do we keep that whole thing very simple right it should be yeah. it shouldn't need ex total you know networking expert to operate this Two, well, we've still learned need them you still need them around but course. they should be i regard ai as taking away the scut work 
So exactly, yeah, yeah. serve right. it up, you know, uh, mm. exactly, serve it up to them. Um, and two, you know, we we've also learned that cloud is the way to do automation because there's a whole lot of collective intelligence that you learn from all these anonymous data across networks, mm. uh, particularly for AI. That is just you know, uh, food, that's just fodder, right? Without that, we mm-hmm. cannot uh, truly, you know, do it at, at the pace of innovation. Mm-hmm. And three, right, like do solve problems in small sets. Do one use case at a time. Don't boil the ocean, right? And all these three things are literally different from how automation is approached today. And that's why we are placing yeah. a big bet. Yeah. I think the great thing about cloud as a service options, if I can pick on one, is the fact that we can change them very rapidly. They are often built on modern software paradigms for the infrastructure. The developers can develop a feature and then deploy it almost immediately. You know, in years gone by, we would have to wait for it to be features to be developed and then they'd be packaged and then shipped on-prem and then we'd wait for customers to update. And that slowed down the pace of change. And I think for at least for, for the foreseeable future, that idea that having it in the cloud allows you to quickly add new hardware platforms or add new features or change the operating system on the boxes and then add new features to the Paragon as service assurance, you know, probes or assurance test agents and so forth. And then combined with the containers means you can actually, you know, iterate on the device as quickly as you can on the cloud. That's where I see the value. Absolutely. Um, In fact, there's a, you know, some data from analysis Mason survey that says 70% faster use case development for new use cases. 50%, Hmm. 50%, you know, faster deployment time the first time over, right? Hmm. And actually 40% lower costs to go with SaaS as compared to any kind of DIY automation solutions, right? So there you go, innovation as well as, you know, just pure business sense. Yeah, I, I believe so. I think the real business, I, I, did, I, I did laugh to myself slightly. In the presentation, you talk about retro metro, which is kind of like what the metro we're running today. But I did like the illusion and there's a slide which sort of talks about the difference between the way metros are working today. You know, they're fairly, you know, we understand them. They're complex, but we understand them. But the way you're approaching cloud metro is to say it's about service experience, cloud automation, uh, and then this feature, this focus on applications, really, which is really interesting that rather than, and the assurance, not to close, you know, are the applications working, not is the device working and the network connected sort of stuff. It's a big gap in the way we look at it. Absolutely. I think it's not about, uh, you know, running networks. It's about, it's not a knock anymore. It's a SOC. Mm. It's a service operations and service experience center uh, that all these different domains like Cloud Metro are enabling end of the day. So, yeah. Mm. Well, that's all that we have time for today. Thanks very much to Juniper for sponsoring today's show and talking about their Cloud Metro launch. I think it's really interesting to see the way that networking has changed from this, you know, we do this, we do have an architecture and then we have a product and then we have some SDN that goes afterwards. And now we're seeing products come with the whole portfolio, the whole day one, day two, uh, day zero, the architecture and the operations is all part of it. And I think that you would learn a lot from going to have a look. If you want more information about Juniper's Cloud Metro, you can just search on it. Uh, but I've also got a plethora, like about a heart, about eight or nine links that link to the announcement, which talks about all of the software features and the hardware and the 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 solution architecture that we're talking about here. And you can find that over on the packetpushes.net website in the blog post that accompanies this show. 
Uh, as always, thank you so much for listening to us. Thank you so much for participating in everything. If you've got any feedback, head on over to packetpushers.net slash FU and you can send us your follow-up and we'll listen to it. If you've got any questions, you want to get in contact with the speakers and chat to them, just hit the slash FU link on the packetpushers.net website. We'd love to hear you. We've got many more fine free technical podcasts on our website and packetpushers.net. You can follow us on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, all that stuff. Uh, if you could leave a rating, that would be very helpful to us. And as always, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>